It's a rainy day episode of Dave's Daredevil Podcast featuring a tale of twisted science, vicious dogs, and redemption within the pages of Marvel Comics Presents. Welcome to Dave's Daredevil Podcast, the podcast all about Marvel Comics' man without fear, Daredevil. I am your host, J. David Weeder, but you can call me Dave, and this is another Rainy Day episode. And what is a Rainy Day episode? Well, it's an episode that I recorded, edited, and put away, just in case, for some reason, I'm not able to record or what have you for a week. It's a backup plan. It just shows my commitment to keeping this show out every Sunday for you. Ideally, you're hearing several Rainy Day episodes in a row which means I've got enough of a lead time where I need to go ahead and burn these off. Let's hope that's the case. Either way, with these episodes, since they are built to be standalone and put in wherever I need them, I usually pick topics or subject matter or material that's out of the norm. By that I mean not in the pages of the Daredevil comic, annual or specific Daredevil miniseries, but other places, anthology titles, random topics, things that are sometimes Daredevil adjacent. This week is a little bit more on point as I'm looking at Daredevil Tales from Marvel Comics Presents. Marvel Comics Presents was kind of a mainstream successor to Marvel Fanfare. It was a bi-weekly anthology title. Initially, the idea was that an X-Men character would have some solo stories for five or ten issues and headline it. Which, in its own way, remained the case. However, that X-Men character just sort of remained Wolverine. Eventually, it would grow to include Ghost Rider because, well, the 90s. This actually led to a lot of great Wolverine material, such as Barry Windsor Smith's Weapon X. Beyond the Wolverine stuff, it was extremely hit or miss. There were some great quality stories, but otherwise some not-so-great stories. It was still a good format to give some obscure characters some time on the page. But by the same token, it was also a good place to burn off inventory stories. So when looking for some off-the-radar Daredevil stories, I found several in Marvel Comics Presents, which one of which, technically four I guess, we will be looking at this week. First, I want to give a big thank you, because John M. Wilson, he of Avengers Inspirations, helped me track these issues down. So John, I want to say thank you, I appreciate it, you made this episode happen. And because of that, I'm going to play a promo for Avengers Inspirations, who will eventually get around to Daredevil, since he is now part of the MCU. And after the promo, I'll be back to talk about Marvel Comics Presents number 69 to 72. Okay, I'm going to do the promo now. Really? Finally. Okay, let's do the promo. What do you mean, let's do the promo? I'm the one who has to do it. Well, get on with it then. Okay, okay, here we go. Iron Man. The Incredible Hulk. The Mighty Thor. The Captain America. Wow. Being dramatic there, aren't we? Do, do you think it's too much? Should I back off? No, 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 you're fine. You, you're good. Okay. 
you've seen the Earth's mightiest heroes in the Avengers franchise of films. Now you can enjoy the stories that have inspired those films through the magic of comic podcasting. Magic of podcasting? You sure about that one? Well, yeah, because, you know, we're awesome. Like, magic. Only without actually seeing any magical things. Just go with it, go with it, go with it. Okay. Don't forget to tell them what we're actually doing on the show. Oh, oh yeah, okay. So join Lily Wilson, the awesomest teenage comics fan in the world, uh-huh. as her father takes her through all the early comics that feature characters from the Avengers franchise of films. And some that aren't in those films yet, but will be. Because we started with the anime before we had a full film. Oh, well, yeah. And don't forget Spider-Man. So that's not the Avenger, but he's there. Oh, okay. So um, maybe it should be that feature characters that have been, are currently, or will one day be in the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. Better. And where should they go not see this magical podcasty goodness? New episodes can be found. <coughs> do I have to do the voice? Yes, you do. Okay, okay. New episodes can be found at the Complete Marvel Reading Order website, cmro.travis-starns.com, and clicking under the Podcasts tab. Or on iTunes by searching Complete Marvel Reading Order, or just search for the name of the show itself. Um, Dad? Don't you think we should actually say the name of our show? Oh. Yeah! Avengers! Inspirations! Podcast! Listen and stuff. Yeah, good job, Dad. Thank you. Alright, so now time to jump into our book of this week. Actually, books. Because what we are looking at is a four-part serial presented within Marvel Comics Presents 69-72. to The overall story, Redemption Song, was placed into four six-page chapters. Now, with Marvel Comics Presents being bi-weekly, the first two chapters would have appeared in December of 1990, the second two in January of 1991. Now, I'm not going to get too far into the covers. This initial cover, well, it's the back cover, because the front cover belongs to Wolverine and Ghost Rider. On the back cover, Daredevil stands amongst the other characters in the issue, who have their own storylines, like Shanna the She-Devil and a dramatic-looking Silver Surfer. Artistically, not bad. Not bad. It's a it's a hodgepodge, like most of these covers, so I'm not going to pay really any attention to the other covers. They're back covers, and what they do is just stick Daredevil into this montage of other characters. The first chapter of Redemption Song is entitled Hot in the City, written and colored by Sandy Plunkett, who also did layouts, fully penciled by Dwayne Turner, inked by Chris Ivey, lettered by Janice Chang, and this is not reprinted, not even in digital. The Wolverine portions do appear on Marvel Unlimited, but not our Daredevil story. So let's jump into the first chapter. It is July in New York City and a heat wave is sweeping over the Big Apple. Most of the time, people are avoiding the heat and the packs of dogs that have been prowling the streets. They are passing the time with a new pirate radio station and its host, Travis D. Hip, who plays a mix of classic music. But amidst this, one man is fleeing through the alleyways and hot on his tail is a snarling, angry pack of dogs. The man has no hope of outrunning them and quickly becomes prey to their sharp teeth and claws. But Daredevil is nearby and fends off the pack's alpha male, sending the others fleeing. Unfortunately, the man's injuries are too severe and he is close to death. Before he does die, he tells Daredevil that he is a scientist working for Octagon. Other Octagon scientists have fallen to the wild dogs, but one remains. A scientist named Ellington. Once the man succumbs to death, Daredevil leaves to seek out Ellington and Octagon, and turns out the Octagon is a floating lab in the harbor. 
The boat is empty, so Daredevil does some snooping and learns of the experiments that they were performing. An attempt to boost intelligence. And their test subject? Dogs. This allows Daredevil to put two and two together. However, Ellington arrives, and even though Daredevil is hidden, the scientist knows that the man without fear is there and tells him to come out. But before Daredevil can start questioning Ellington, the scientist produces a vial of volatile explosive chemicals and threatens to blow them both up if Daredevil doesn't leave immediately. Alright, we're going to stop there after this first channel. Not much of a cliffhanger, but it is what it is. Looking back at the beginning of the story, it opens, like most of these, with a comic strip style first panel. It's Daredevil in silhouette, looking over a miniature of the city, the title splashes across it. It looks really cool, and I like that attitude, sort of presenting this almost like a comic strip in itself, since this is also wedged in between other stories. The immediate thing I would think of, just and this is retroactive, would be the Wednesday comics that came out a few years ago. On the pirate radio station, music is played a lot. We see a lot of lyrics. The first set of lyrics we see are from Girls Just Want to Have Fun by the great Cindy Lauper. And while most of the songs that we see play into the story in one sh way, shape, or form, this one doesn't. It's just a fun song. It's also, in comparison to the other ones, definitely the furthest down the timeline Travis Hip is playing. Most of his songs are classics. Not that this song isn't now, but at this time it was only a few years old. And let's be honest about pirate radio. I'm going to throw a theory out here. A lot of podcasters, myself included, wanted to have some sort of pirate radio thing going on. It's part of what we do. We all kind of want to be Christian Slater and pump up the volume. Now, again, this is a theory, but I kind of tend to think I'm right on this. If I'm wrong, please feel free to email me. And the opening scenes uh, show people escaping the heat, hanging out on rooftops, being sociable, laying out in the sun. It looks like an 80s wine cooler commercial. Like at any moment, you're going to see free rides start playing and polar bears start roaming the streets, giving cold wine coolers to everybody, bringing snow in July. It's a, not a bad artistic choice, and it makes sense to set the scene, but it's definitely kind of jarring, especially when you add in the dialogue that there's packs of wild dogs roaming the streets of New York. That's the moment you go, wait, what? Because this is New York City, the, one of the biggest cities in the world. Not a Sheriff Lobo backwoods town. I expect these things in little towns, but packs of dogs? And there's almost a hesitation to laugh at it, but the next thing we see is a dog attack escalating fast and actually kind of sadistic. Because this guy is just being descended upon by these vicious animals, and it's set to the contour singing, Do you love me? Do you love me now that I can dance? Nope, don't love that. It's very akin to the Reservoir Dog scene, in which Mr. Blonde cuts off the cop's ears. Eh? Sadistic. Luckily, Daredevil is in the neighborhood and gets to fight dogs, and he actually borrows Captain America's move by throwing a trash can lid. Daredevil's theory, which in this case works out, is that if you take out the alpha dog, the other dogs are just going to run away. Well, pack mentality being what it is, the other side of the coin could have very easily been that the other dogs rallied around to protect the alpha. That move could have definitely escalated the situation. And of course, it doesn't do a whole lot of good because this guy dies. We don't even get his name. We do get the name of the scientist who's living, the last scientist, Ellington. I just want to point something out. His name is Ellington. That shares a name with abandoned orchestra leader. Orchestra, remember that, Duke Ellington. So earmark Ellington. That's going to be very important to the end of the story. Now, the colors are very odd. They're very muted. And mostly due to the coloring practices at the time and just the speed this book had to be cranked out. One thing that I see quite a bit, and it's off and on, it's not completely consistent, but more often than not, Daredevil's eyes are white instead of their traditional red lenses. And I think that's actually kind of cool. That's something where I don't feel it goes against the character. 
especially when using darker color palettes like this one. Gives them a little definition, allows you, especially in some of these smaller panels, to place Daredevil's gaze. However, Dwayne Turner, who is normally a very good artist, you may know him from Transformers, things of that nature, but Dwayne Turner makes Daredevil look occasionally like an emaciated senior citizen. He's overusing the lines big time. And yeah, you're trying to get that gritty, dark feel, because this is a darker story. This is post-Miller, so it's more noir, more urban Avenger than swashbuckling hero, but yeah, it doesn't always look good. However, other panels look spectacular. It's very inconsistent, very, very inconsistent. And of course, we get the exposition that there's an experiment that's trying to increase intelligence. They use dogs, which of course puts two and two together that the pack of dogs are affected by this experiment. So what we're looking at is Deep Blue Sea. Unfortunately, we don't get a Samuel L. Jackson getting eaten by a dog scene, which I'm tempted to ding this story on. How do you miss an opportunity like that? We gaze into the future, people. Now, what I really think of, and both Deep Blue Sea and this, is the story Flowers for Algernon, which was made into the movie Charlie. It's a very, very sad story, which should tell you how this is going to go. If you haven't read that in your high school or junior high English class, let me break that down for you. The story involves a mentally challenged man named Charlie, who becomes part of an experiment to increase intelligence, and it succeeds, first in a rat named Algernon, and then in Charlie. Charlie gains super intelligence and becomes a bastion of the scientific community. Unfortunately, as we see preceded in Algernon, the effects of the experiment are not permanent. In fact, they're fatal. Now for Charlie, we don't get a definitive ending. He wanders off and that's it, as he starts to regress. But definitely somebody's been reading Flowers for Algernon in this story, which is not a bad source material. Good, good story and not a bad movie. Good performance by Cliff Robertson, who more modern audiences would know as Uncle Ben in the original Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. But of course, we run into Ellington, who has explosive chemicals. So we're kind of in a tense situation when this ends, but I want you to earmark that Daredevil has been in this boat for a while. He's been going over materials for at least 15, 20 minutes, if not more. And there are a few things Daredevil doesn't notice, so I want to earmark that without spoiling it just yet. So we can get to that note, let's move into the next chapter from Marvel Comics Presents 70, subtitled Summertime Blues. The heat wave continues as the police search the streets for the pack of vicious dogs. The pirate radio station plays music and Daredevil confronts Ellington. Daredevil moves quickly as Ellington drops the explosive vial and he manages to catch it just before it hits the floor, avoiding a certain boom and a certain doom. But Ellington runs away while Daredevil dilutes the contents of the vial, but he only makes it to the deck of the ship before Daredevil nabs him with a billy club line. Ellington explains himself a bit. While the experiments to boost intelligence worked well on dogs, he became impatient, so he tested it on himself. But he did not become more intelligent, instead he gained the ability to read minds. Using this ability, he saw the greed in the Octagon financiers and within himself, so he left. This caused the routines in the lab to break down and the dogs were able to go free. In the present, those very same dogs show up and Daredevil is forced to engage them to protect Ellington. However, in the middle of the fight, that isn't really going Daredevil's way, Daredevil notices that Ellington has fled. So Daredevil leaps off the boat and swims to shore, frustrated that he has gotten no further along in this situation. So, stopping there again, this is kind of a slow burn of a story, as you can see. We haven't covered a whole lot of ground in this particular chapter, but it does serve for a little bit more exposition once again. At this point, the pirate radio station is playing the Love and Spoonful's What a Day for a Daydream. And this is juxtaposed against images of cops roaming the streets, 
People once again escaping the heat. Kind of a miserable, miserable situation, which makes it a day for a daydream. We get another great opening panel, comic strip style, but it's Daredevil swinging past a billboard, and it looks like two people are fighting on the billboard, and Daredevil's just kind of ignoring that. And of course, the cliffhanger wraps up quickly so we can move on. Daredevil catches the vial, which, physics being what it is, I'm going to let it pass. It wasn't exposed to air, it didn't shatter, but I think the jarring effect might have actually upset the chemicals. Either that or the explosive properties of these particular volatile chemicals are overrated. And just to let you know, now that I'm on the FBI watch list for researching it, I can confirm nitrogen compounds, which is what's in the vial. They are water-soluble. So Daredevil is using his noggin and some real-world science to dilute that. Now let's talk about science, because we've learned that Ellington experimented on himself and gained telepathy. This is a two-pronged note. First, science degrees in the Marvel Universe must be extremely challenging. I mean, you've got a lot of advanced science in the Marvel Universe that we don't have in the real world. Fully functioning sentient robots, chemicals that turn you into lizards. But I'm betting because of the advanced nature and the expense of that, they must remove ethics and common sense. Because there's a lot of scientists that decide to experiment on themselves. That is wrong, folks. That is not science. That's how we end up with giant lizards. Do you want giant lizards? Because I do not. Now, the second part of this note is that Daredevil has been on the ship for a little bit. Remember that note? And he's actually been in the presence of a telepathic Ellington for at least a few more minutes on top of that. Remember that Ellington walked into the ship. Daredevil is hidden in shadows. Perfectly hidden. But Daredevil is called out by name. Here's the problem with that. If Ellington's telepathic and already aware of Matt's thoughts, his secret identity is probably blown. This is never acknowledged. This is never mentioned. However, come on, it's there. And of course, the dogs show up. Yes, the dogs. Now, I'm a dog lover. Having said that, if a dog is viciously attacking, I will go ahead and defend myself. I don't want to. I don't want to hurt an animal. However, if I'm being attacked, if I am the victim, I've got to do whatever I can to keep my limbs intact. And it's a weird choice for a villain for Daredevil, but unique. Because Daredevil's used to fighting people, dogs, eh, a little bit different. And this is quickly becoming a man versus science versus nature versus science type of story. I mean, it's like combining White Fang and Murders in the Rue Morgue with superheroes. We have Daredevil going up against eight dogs. And at one point, Daredevil hits a dog with another dog. Now, luckily, Turner is using his art styles to make these dogs as unsympathetic as you can. They're snarling, they're mean, they're mangy. But they represent the fact that this is man-made danger. This is man-made science catastrophe. And people have fallen victim to these dogs already. So the dogs, even though they are the aggressor now, are also the victims. And that's what Ellington is dealing with. Ellington saw the greed and the inevitable bad things that would come thanks to the scientific experiment. It's a whole ball of irony, isn't it? Ellington begins working for the Octagon to create the intelligence potion with his own greed intact and creates the dogs. However, when he recognizes his greed, thanks to telepathy from the same experiment, he leaves and that's how the dogs get out and cause havoc. That's just a lot to put on this man's plate. You almost feel sorry for him. He is sympathetic where the dogs aren't. However, looking at it in an unbiased fashion, these are all victims. Victims of themselves to some extent in Ellington's case, and the dog's victim of science as well as, well, of course, Ellington. And then the dog's victims also... Just a victim of all of it. There's a lot of victimization going on here. It's almost, almost too heavy. However, the story never has a chance to settle into that. It never explores it fully, both to its detriment 
and in some cases, keeping it a light, brisk read at the same time. It's balancing right on a fence of storytelling, and it never decides exactly what story it's telling. I will tell you that up front as we go into the second half of these chapters. Starting with the third chapter, which is entitled Just a Shot Away from Marvel Comics Presents 71. As the heat wave persists, Travis D. Hip's pirate radio station promises a party the next day unlike any other. Daredevil, however, is still on the trail of Octagon and their questionable experiments. At the Octagon corporate headquarters, Daredevil fights the building's security guards and makes his way through the offices. He finds the acting president of Octagon, a young woman named Pinkwater, who inherited the company from her father. When Daredevil brings up the case, Pinkwater gets angry and points her finger at Ellington, revealing that he is currently masquerading as Travis D. Hip. Pinkwater tries to entice Daredevil to get Ellington's valuable research, but the man without fear refuses and decides to hunt Ellington to stop a threat to innocent lives. Alright, the third chapter begins with Otis Redding seeing Sitten by the dock of the bay, which is clever, since Daredevil escaped the boats and the dogs last chapter by jumping in the river and getting to shore. Now, there is a lack of logic in that escape in the fact that the dogs clearly got on the boat from the shore. So it stands to reason they could get back to the shore from the boat. These are super intelligent beings, either way. But, either way, Daredevil's on the dock, we proceed forward, and the pirate radio station is all over the city. It's kind of the new summer craze, and it's hard to believe that in the real world something like this would take over. Because the bandwidth would be amazing. If you're doing pirate radio, that takes a lot to emanate throughout the entirety of New York City. But it's also a lot to get people's attention. And again, the story starts with another comic strip-style panel and kind of a catch-up moment where we know it's hot, the, the party's coming. However, the second page of the story stands out to me because Turner, his art is on fire on this page. Sure, Daredevil's misproportionate a little, but standalone, removing the captions, removing the speech bubbles, things like that, this is a great page. Just a completely generic Daredevil page. Just before he goes to fight the building security at Octagon. Which was kind of intense. Basically, we get a three-page fight in this chapter. First time Daredevil's fighting people in the story. And the building security, they're armed and armored like they're Gotham City SWAT. Which should red flag you that this is a place where bad guys work. But that's not entirely true as we're going to see. We meet Pinkwater, who's this pretty blonde girl who inherited the company and She's like the original Paris Hilton, because she inherited the company from her father, who built it, and now she's running it based on her own whims and pleasures. Free of ethics. Now, the name Pinkwater raised a flag, because, after all, the name Ellington, remember to earmark that, has a certain meaning to the story. So I wondered what this could be, if anything, referencing. The only thing I was really able to track down was Daniel Pinkwater, who's an author. Now, he writes about social misfits in weird situations. And when you think about this story, we have high-thinking dogs created on a floating lab by a telepathic scientist working for a giant corporation. It's, it's a stretch, but when you've done a little bit of research, you want to put it in where you can. And of course, in this chapter, we get the big reveal that Ellington is indeed Travis T. Hip. And I tried running Travis T. Hip through an anagram generator, but I didn't find any real relevance to the, the pseudonym other than he's hip. And this story closes with Daredevil getting ready to go track him down and the lyrics from Gimme Shelter by the Rolling Stones playing. Now that song, if you don't know, is about violence in the Vietnam and just violence overall. And in an interview, I remember either Jagger or Keith Richards saying it's about the world closing in on you. Which is true. That's where we're at in the story. And, you know, I haven't mentioned this yet, but it's kind of cool to have a comic book story with a soundtrack within it. 
That's something kind of unique to this story. But of course, that continues into the final chapter, which is subtitled, A Momentary Taste of Being. The heat is rising, the police are out in force, and the clock is ticking as Ellington's pirate radio party draws near. Daredevil has put together that Ellington has been using the floating lab as a radio station, and when he arrives at the dock, the ship is gone. But the vicious pack of dogs are found dead, whether by poison or the unknown long-term effects of the experiments can't be determined. Miss Pinkwater has also put together the source of the radio waves, and they are on the hunt along with the Harbor Patrol. Daredevil arrives on Pinkwater's ship and reluctantly joins her to find the Octagon ship. As they draw near, Tripp's radio broadcast calls for listeners to step outside, and Daredevil boards the ship first. As the call is made for listeners to clasp hands, Daredevil bashes the cabin door open to find the boat empty and the broadcast a tape. But there is a note for Daredevil from Ellington who tells him not to turn it off. This is Ellington's moment of redemption. Daredevil realizes that across the city of New York, thousands of people are holding hands, even strangers, rich, poor, they're all grasping hands and they are all singing together. As their voices rise, the heat relents and the sky opens up with rain. Even Miss Pinkwater can't hide her elation. And Daredevil himself stops beating himself up over all the mistakes that he's made while tracking Ellington and takes in the rain as the people of New York peacefully go back to their homes. The moment over. Alright, in this final chapter, the opening title panel bleeds out of the boundaries and just forms the background. It's an epic shot of Daredevil. I mean, genuinely, I like this shot. The colors and the pose work. I love the architecture that's used. It definitely sets up the mood of the final story, as we're going into what would be the final battle. And of course, Daredevil reasons that Ellington is broadcasting from the Octagon ship. Now bear in mind, I mentioned earlier that he was in the ship. He was in there for quite a while and didn't notice radio waves or the sound of equipment. Now, admittedly, there's a lot of lab equipment going on, so he may have just channeled it out, but that stood out to me. And in the real world, pirate radio is pretty similar to what we're seeing here. One of the legendary pirate radio stations came from Radio Caroline, which was actually broadcast from the ship. They would stay just out of reach in international waters and play music that mainstream radio wouldn't and talk about things likewise. If you want a really good reference for pirate radio, look up the movie Pirate Radio, also titled The Boat That Rocked. Really, really cool movie. Has a great cast. It's Philip Seymour Hoffman, Bill Nighy, Nick Frost. It's an exceptionally good movie. I was really impressed with it. And the dogs are found. They're found dead. Again, they're a victim of science. And it, they're not the villains, and yet they're the aggressor. And here, Turner changes the way he draws them. They look sweeter, so you suddenly feel sympathetic. After all, for all we know, they were docile, friendly, domesticated dogs before the experiments occurred. But these intelligent dogs started rounding up the other regular dogs. Aggression breeds aggression. Which fits into the theme of the story. There's a lot of subtlety here. I just, well, I'll get into this in a minute, but the, the story just didn't have room to really play with the themes it's presented. And of course, the name Ellington. Finally, what does it mean? Ellington orchestrates something amazing. And it's the ending that makes the story worthwhile. What Ellington did was pretty much give the world a Coke and teach them to sing in perfect harmony. He performed a miracle. And it was the thing that hooked me on the story when I finally got to this fourth chapter and all the pieces fell into place. This is his redemption. Yes, he caused a lot of havoc with his greed and with his experimentation predicated on that greed. However, in the end, he was able to bring thousands of people together, which is not a small feat. And the question is, does this redeem Ellington? I mean, does it actually redeem him? The victims of the dogs, well, they're still dead. They're still injured. And of course, there's the question of at what point is he complicit in what the dogs did? 
Yes, he started the experiments, yet conscientiously he left. However, his leaving the experiments caused everything to go awry. It's not an easy redemption. He's forgiven himself. He has performed something magical. However, it doesn't erase everything that happened before that. So there's no easy answers to this. You have the dogs that were aggressors based on Ellington's research, although Ellington and the dogs were both victims at the same time. Ellington trying to take the high road resulted in bad things happening. But if you look at what occurred, you see images of a couple rekindling. There's a prisoner that's also singing. There's a girl in the hospital bed with her boyfriend. What he did was pretty much the ending of Watchmen in a bite-sized form. So I'm not going to try to answer the question of does this actually redeem him because you can't undo some things. However, what he performed was great. And of course, it ends with the rain taking the heat away. Another small miracle. And Ellington is still out there. We never see him again, but he's out there. And it's likely that based on what could be the long-term effects of the experimentation, Ellington may be dead or soon to be dead. And he likely knows this. So he wanted to perform one last thing before he passed away. And another layer is... Did this happen organically of the people, or did somehow Ellington use his telepathy to move this along? Can he project thoughts as well? And it's never explained. It does appear to be organic that the people listening to it decided to participate and proceed from there. And we end with Daredevil just taking a moment to appreciate what just happened and what will probably never happen again. For all that we've seen, Daredevil's been chasing nothing. Ellington is not a threat. His research is who knows where and not going to be handed over to the people to pursue it further. The other scientists are gone. Now the dogs are dead, who were the aggressor. So Daredevil's kind of got a zero-sum game, doesn't he? He hasn't accomplished anything outside of saving Ellington long enough to make this occur, but who knows how long that broadcast was on tape. After all, it was broadcasting while Daredevil was visiting with Ellington. So it may be one extremely long loop. But ultimately, Daredevil lost nothing. Yeah, he's got a few scratches on him, but most of what occurred would have occurred without Daredevil's interference. Zero-sum game, which is kind of thematic. Let me get into my final verdict, folks. As a whole, the story, the conclusion satisfies it, but the individual chapters don't. The story plays with these questions of redemption and right and wrong and who's the bad guy, but the story ends up not having enough time to really present the questions in a straightforward manner. And the story's hard to follow because of the format. It's an incredibly intriguing concept, a great intriguing hook, but it's something that just kind of got stilted due to it being individual chapters. It's its presentation. It's its format that works against it. It wouldn't be bad as an individual fill-in issue. Now, even at that, it would still be sh just shy of average, just because the art is a little dinky. And there are some great single moments, and again, those questions that are on the underlying current. However, the story never stops to present this to the reader. And of course, this has also got some things going for it. Even though the momentum never really picks up, it does have a soundtrack unto itself. The themes are pretty cool, and I think it had a lot more potential. It just wasn't in the right format, and maybe, maybe it should have been scripted by somebody else. Plunkett really does have a great plot, but it ends up being forgettable. There's no ramifications. It could have been a great standalone story as it is. It's, it's an okay standalone story, but it stands on rickety legs. The art is passable, which works against it. It looks rough and rushed. It doesn't show Turner's true potential. And it probably indicates to me, at least, that this was an inventory story that needed a spot to go and got rushed into production. Overall, it's, it's a meh read. It's, it's not bad, but you know what? Don't go out of your way to find these. Having said that, if you do find them in a 50-cent box, not really a waste of time.
and not a bad pick for a rainy day episode. But that does bring us to the end of this. I'm going to wrap it up here. I'm, of course, going to be back next week, just like every Sunday. Until then, justice may be blind, but it can see in the dark. He is the one they call a man without fear. Never far away whenever things is near. You have been listening to Dave's Daredevil Podcast, which can be found at daredevilpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the show via the RSS link, iTunes, and other podcatchers. Or stream it on the Stitcher app, which gives you instant access to a wide range of audio programs. Email for the show can be submitted to dave at daredevilpodcast.com or through the website's handy contact form. The show is on Facebook. Simply search for Dave's Daredevil Podcast. And I am on Twitter as well. My username is at Dave Weeder. Weeder is spelled W-E-T-E-R. Daredevil and other Marvel characters are copyright Marvel Comics. Any music or sound clips are used for entertainment purposes only, and no infringement is intended. This show earns no money and exists solely for entertainment purposes only. I am J. David Weeder. Thank you so much for listening. Oh, he must hide his sadness and fear.